one of Victory City family. So grateful to be back in the church this week. Um, had a tremendous time just with the birth of our son, Benjamin. Uh, he and Christy both are doing so well. Just thankful for your prayers, your calls, your texts, um, all the gifts that we have received. Especially thankful to my dad for filling in for the past two weeks. He did an amazing job. Just so grateful that the word was able to continue. Um, it's been a blessing for me to be away. Been a time to refresh, been a time to adjust, but nonetheless, I'm so excited to be back here doing what I'd love to do the most, which is to bring the word of God to you this way. So just, just excited to jump back into the word this week. Now, you know, we have gone back to the book of Acts, and as my dad worked through Acts 11 and 12, we're actually going to jump in today to Acts chapter 13, and you know, We've seen uh, through the course, through our dialogue, that we're looking at the church at Antioch, one of the first churches that are established in the New Testament covenant, the New Testament church. Um, that church is one of the first that is established, and we're seeing a lot of the work that is happening in that church. So what I want to do is really look at this church in particular, look at its characteristics, but also look at the background of how that church starts um, very simply and how it grows and it develops and it matures and how it grows into what God was developing ultimately the church universal to be. Now, up to this point, we know that everything that's happening in the church has been more of a grassroots effort. It involved a smaller collection of people who were much less organized and systematic, but they were much more fundamental and pragmatic. And these were individuals who saw it necessary to take it upon themselves to spread the gospel and to evangelize. Now, when we think about growth um, in the church early on, it really is a miraculous work, right? When we think, you know, we should have this fresh in our minds because we've just looked at this with the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But the reality is that Jesus takes really 11, Judas, the one who was the son of perdition. But God takes 11 unlearned, unskilled men and he takes them and sets the world essentially on fire with the gospel through those men. And they had little more than the testimony of what they had heard from the mouth of Jesus, but also what they had witnessed in the resurrection of Jesus from the grave. All they could do was to tell that testimony wherever they went. There is, I think if we look, this simplicity in the establishment of the church that has seemingly been lost in the church today. There is an ease by which they did everything in the, in the New Testament church that we have seemingly lost. Everything seems to be complicated and complex and has a lot of rules and regulations, but there was much more simplicity when the church was established than I think what we see now. Really what has happened is that all that the church was, everything that we see that as the church is being developed, has really been replaced by a complex web. And I say that web is concerning programs and people. Today, 
we're going to spend our time looking at the church as God established it and the specific characteristics of that church. And now what we're going to do today is you see the sermon title is see what the real church looks like. That's the goal for today's sermon. Jump with me, if you will, to Acts chapter 13, verse 1. Now, there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manny, and a lifelong friend of Herod, the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart from me. Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia and from there they sailed to Cyprus. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews and they had John to assist them. And so, as we're looking today at what the church looks like, obviously the sermon is the real church. As we're looking today at uh, the real church, there's really one emphatic point that we're going to work through for the entirety of this sermon. One main focus that I want you to look at, and that is this. The real church is marked by diversity. The real church is marked by diversity. In the text, we see first that there is a diversity of gifts. We see here that there are both prophets and teachers here. Luke mentions that there were prophets and teachers at the church in Antioch. Now, the diversity that we see here isn't between the prophets and the teachers at the church in Antioch because there's an obvious overlap in those roles there. Now, the prophet teachers here in the church carried the authority early on in the church. Now, I want to offer you some clarity about what these prophets were doing and who they were, what their roles were then versus what we think they should be now. There were prophets who had clearly remained from before the New Testament church was established, and they were still in use during the establishment of the church. But we will see quickly that the nature and the frequency of their prophecy will slow down over the course of Acts dramatically until it comes to an obvious halt. Now, in Acts 11.28, Agabus, who'd long been a prophet, comes down and he actually warned there would be a famine that was coming. In Acts 21 and 10, there are four virgin prophetesses who are mentioned. And then again, Agabus comes down, the prophet, and, and um, gathers with them as well. The problem is, is that many people think that the church itself has been built off of prophets, and predictions, but that is not the case. Now, there are some people who are going to see this, come from specific backgrounds and argue with me about this, but hopefully this will help you understand what I'm saying. When Jesus says that the church is built, he says that it is not built on predictions, it is not built on 
prophecy is not built on miracles, but it is built on him being the son of God. Remember, in the Gospels, when he's speaking to Peter, he says, who am I and who do men say that I am? And it is Peter who comes and says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And he turns to him. He says, flesh and blood have not revealed this to you, but my father, which is in heaven, upon this rock, this principle, will the church be built and the gates of hell will not prevail against that church. So the foundation of the church cannot be the acts of the people in the church. It must be that Jesus Christ is in fact the only begotten of the Father who was sent to be the perpetuation for our sins and who dies for our sins on the cross. That's the foundation of the church. That is all that the church is and is clear. But let me give you more evidence that the church is not built on prophets and predictions and prophecies. In the Old Testament, there are 18 prophetic books. There is only one prophetic book in the New Testament, and that is the book of Revelation. Now, the book of Revelation, the Apocalypto, the final given revelation, which, by the way, we always say the revelation of John. It is not the revelation of John. The revelation is the final revelation from the final great prophet, that being Jesus. Many of the major players in the Old Testament, in fact, are prophets of God using that revelation to lay the foundation for the New Testament church and the arrival of Jesus. In fact, that is actually what we're told in Hebrews 1 and 1 through 2. It says, in the former days, God spoke in many ways through many different prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken through one, namely his son, Jesus Christ. When that revelation is given, it has been given finally and completely. That's why, no, despite the fact that many people say it's the book of Revelations, it is the book of Revelation. One revelation, final revelation, which is given to us from Jesus Christ. But this is the thing. Not only was the foundation laid by the prophets, the church is built on the final prophet who is not just prophet, as Hebrew says. He is prophet, priest, and he is king. And that's Jesus. In other words, all the fulfillment we need comes alone from Jesus. So when we say that there is diversity in the offices, that means that the church is actually led by multiple qualified men who could teach and would teach the word of God boldly. That is what the real church looks like. It has multiple diverse qualified men with various different backgrounds who are leading the charge in the church that is one component of the diversity that we see in the in the real church now the other ways that we see is in who god uses and who is actually sent by god we see here lucius and niger this pairing though is is interesting because it is most significant that they are both likely 
from North Africa. That is at least clear from the man who's gone by Niger because his name means black in Latin. This is a continuation for us if we can connect the dots of what we have seen since the coronation of the church. Let me make this as clear as I possibly can so that we can all grasp this and understand this. The church is not, it is not marked by sameness or uniformity. The church is marked by unity in diversity. And for us, that requires much more love and patience and grace and prayer. It is easy for a church to look real and to look healthy when everyone looks the same, when they all come from the same neighborhoods, when they have the same background, the same socioeconomic status, dress the same, speak the same. If anyone can gather with a large group of like-minded people, that's not a church, it's a social club. And that is what most people now do on Sundays. They gather together with their social club so they can talk about all the things that they like to talk about with the people that look and speak and act and dress just like they do. But this, however, is a tremendous problem. And it's a problem because it actually stifles the growth, right, of the church. Now, I want to be clear as well. This is going to sound like I'm some proponent that we need to really be charging for diversity in the church and we need to make it our mission to be as diverse as possible and, and be ethnically and racially and culturally unique and diverse. But I think that actually creates the same problem, right? If we as a church make it our mission only to be as diverse as possible, it creates the same problem that you have if everybody looks and talks and speaks the same. Let me explain why. If we pursue that as a mission, secondary to the gospel, right? If we pursue that as a mission, all you have is a group of diverse people with one common mission. Be as diverse as possible, and it distracts them from what they actually should be doing, which is going out and making disciples, evangelizing the lost, not looking for people who just look different than them. Because they start targeting people that they think are intellectually superior enough to be able to conceptualize that mission. And so what even if you have diversity as a mission, it leads you to only target people that you think can grasp that mission. And a lot of times you will disregard a person who needs to be in the church because they don't appear to be diverse enough from who you are to welcome them in the church. That is, in fact, a problem. And that is what many churches are doing now in the name of diversity. They are turning away people who look too normal so they can welcome in all types of diverse people. But the gospel cannot be us turning anybody away from the truth for the sake of the appearance right so when I say that the church should be diverse it shouldn't be diverse because we're pursuing diversity 
It should be diverse because we have the right mission in mind. Remember, the disciples, the apostles, they were not going out looking for different people. They were going to all men, all women, all people of all backgrounds, all lives, and they were giving them the gospel. And the result was that every person from every tribe and every tongue came to the truth because all they wanted to do was share that truth. That is what makes the church diverse. See, pursuing diversity does not beget a church. It begets more diversity. But pursuing the mission of Christ, which is led by the gospel of Christ, will draw, as he said, if I be lifted up from the earth, both naturally and spiritually, then he is capable within all of his power and might to draw all men to himself. That is the key. So if we pursue the truth, and pursue people for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ, diversity will happen. Now, let me also be clear. Sure, it is well beyond just what a person looks like. It is well beyond the color of our skins. It is well beyond just the way that we look outwardly and the way we appear. It is found in the deepest differences in the recesses of our hearts that the gospel is sufficient to meet and to touch and to draw. That is the real church, and that is what the real church looks like. It isn't made up of these half-hearted idol worshipers that we see today who in the name of the church are leading people away from God. It is only made up of believers who have one mission in mind, going and making disciples of all people, of all nations. And in verse 4, we are given the key, we are given the driving force of how all of this is made possible. They were sent off to do their work guided and empowered by the Holy Spirit. That's the difference, right? They were not out here with their own agenda in mind. They were not out here on their own accord with their own mission. They were sent out on a mission empowered by the Holy Spirit. The reason why the real church doesn't look like the real churches because it's not made up of enough people who actually carry the spirit of God living on the inside of them that is sending them out to do the work of Jesus Christ. The real church, I mean the real church, not the caudal church, the real church is willing to risk its life so that people will be saved. And it is so easy for us to think that what we're doing is real while we have people every single day on the front lines in other countries who are sacrificing their quality of life here for the gospel. 
That is what the real church looks like. It's not just about us being comfortable. It's about us being disrupted in our own lives and taking what we know to be true about Jesus to every single person we can find. It is ironic to me that we have so many people who can feel the Spirit, but who are not moved to actually do anything by the Spirit. The only way we will be a healthy and real church is when we are all Spirit-led on one accord with one mission in mind. See souls saved. As we see that the church was growing into a more organized unit, and that's what happened. As they were going out, they were sharing their faith, and the church was growing rapidly because people were believing the testimony that they had. As they grew and they became more organized in what they did, they did not sacrifice truth for organization. That is a key. As they grew, the truth was the centerpiece of everything that they did and said. Their mission was not overtaken by plans and systems and programs. The mission was the center of everything they did because the flame of the Holy Spirit and the resurrection of Jesus Christ burned in them. As the flame of Lady Liberty never goes out, so should the flame of the Holy Spirit burn in us. That is the fuel of the real church. It is that we know that Jesus was raised from the grave and became the perpetuation for our sins. It is so easy for us to get caught up in keeping this thing going, but people, when we gather every week, We must gather with one purpose in mind, and that it is built on the foundation, which is Jesus Christ. That is what makes the church real. And that is what makes the church come alive. So if we are going to be the real church, we must be about the mission. That was set before us. What's that mission? Jesus said, go into all the world, making disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That is what the real church is. And that is what the real church looks like. Yes, it is easy to get caught up in the lights and the cameras and the systems and all this stuff. But at the end of the day, Jesus Christ is coming a bride. He is coming for his church which is without blemish, which is without spot, which is without wrinkle. I heard a preacher recently, this past week, somebody sent me this clip and it really astonished me. He said, the condemnation of many preachers will be when they mistreated the bride of Jesus Christ. And they treated his bride as their own. 
and that many men would be judged because of the treatment they had toward the bride of Christ. That's really important for us to understand. Real church, we are not subjected to any other man's agenda. You're not subjected to my agenda. You're not subjected to any agenda. As Paul said, if anybody comes preaching you another gospel other than what we have preached, let it be anathema. Basically, damn that gospel to hell is what he said. And so we, we people must stand up for what is true and what is right. And we must exemplify the real church. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you um, that you have given us um, this truth that we know, in fact, that the real church is made up of people who have been sent, diverse people who have been sent by you to do your work. God, don't ever let us slack off that mission. God, do not allow us to let anything else come in and distract us from the truth, God, we have one common goal, and that is that you will be glorified in the lives that we live, in the things that we say. That is what we desire, God. I pray that people through us, through the people in this church, will be drawn back to you, God, because you are being lifted up by us. That is my prayer. It is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, I thank you so much um, just for joining in. I pray that this sermon has been a blessing for you. If you're watching this and you're saying, hey, I want to be a part of the real church. I don't know anything about Christianity. I want to know what it means to be a Christian. Please don't hesitate to email us at info at ourvictorycity.org. We would love to talk more with you about that. Also, don't forget that tomorrow we will meet um, for our gathering, our Monday Manor gathering. We will talk about anything that I've discussed that you may have questions about things that you really want to dig deep into. We're going to do that again on tomorrow at 7. I cannot wait to see you. Um, if you want to be a part of that email list, if you're not already in it, also email info at ourvictorycity.org. Thank you for joining in with us today. As it is always, it is time for us to transition into our time of giving. You see all the ways to give. You can give through our cash app, which is Victory City. You can give through our text to give, 205-415-2662. You can also give by going to ourvictorycity.org, clicking that donate button, and giving that way. Also, if you want to hear this sermon again or watch it again, go download, subscribe to our podcast. Anywhere you listen to podcasts is Victory City, Birmingham, and you can listen that way. I pray that you have a wonderful week. Go in peace.